0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Nostalgic Mystery Radio. I'm your host, Stevie Kay, and it's my honor to bring you the radio shows of yesteryear. For this episode, I bring you Agatha Christie's Miss Marple, episode titled, At Bertram's Hotel, where during a stay at one of London's most elegant and venerable hotels, Miss Marple uncovers a sinister undercurrent of corruption and murder. This will be a five-part series. So sit back and relax, and I hope you enjoy this Nostalgic Mystery Radio. Thank you for listening. When
1: you reach my age, you find that much of your time is spent living in the past, recalling its pleasures. I stayed for the first time at Bertram's Hotel when I was a girl of 14, with my aunt and my Uncle Thomas when he was Canon of Ely, long ago. And I've never forgotten it. So when my nephew Raymond West, whose last book was really doing rather well, offered to give me two weeks' holiday as a special treat...
2: We present June Whitfield as Miss Marple in Agatha Christie's At Bertram's Hotel.
3: What about Bournemouth?
1: It's very kind of you, Raymond, but I don't think... But it would be so good for you. Get you away from the dreary claustrophobic life you lead in St Mary Mead. Well, yes, I would like a little visit somewhere for a change, but not perhaps Bournemouth. Eastbourne? Torquay. You know, Raymond, what I really would like... Yes, Aunt Jane? What I would really like would be to go to Bertram's Hotel. Bertram's Hotel? Where's that? It's in London, quite close to the park, not far from Berkeley Square. I used to stay there as a child. You're sure it still exists? That was what was so remarkable about Bertram's Hotel. It was still there, exactly the same. There were the big swing doors with a man who looked as if he might have been a field marshal standing outside them.
4: A fine afternoon, ma'am. Uh, welcome to Bertram's Hotel. Uh, we'll see to your cases
1: and once inside it was as if you were in a vanished world. Time had gone back and you were in Edwardian England. Even the receptionist, frumpy but respectable with frizzled yellowish hair, looked as if she belonged to a different age. You're in number 14, Miss Marple. It's at the back of the hotel, very quiet and peaceful. I'm sure you'll be happy there. And when I came down to the lounge to take tea, it was as if nothing had changed since my childhood. A large and magnificent figure called Henry brought such delicate cucumber sandwiches and the kind of seed cake I thought had vanished forever. And as for the other guests, there were two canons and a rural dean, and over in the corner there was a bishop, no less. And surely... Over by the window, that was Lady Selina Hazy, whom I'd not seen since I was a young girl, talking to a man who could only have been a retired army officer.
3: I suppose you've been at Newbury, Derek.
1: Yes, damn cold. I didn't wait for the
3: last two races. Disastrous
5: day. Oh. And uh, what brought you up to town? Well, the dentist. Huh? As
3: I was up, I thought I might go and see a man in Harley Street about my arthritis. Do you any good? Well, I rather think he did. Good. It took me by the neck when I wasn't expecting it and wrung it like a chicken. Must have hurt. Oh, it feels all right now. Oh, good. You know, I can look over my right shoulder for the first time in years, you see. Why, I do believe that's old Jane Marple sitting over there. Huh? I thought she died years ago. Good afternoon, Lady Selina. Good
1: afternoon, Colonel. Did you have a good day at
3: Newbury? Mr.
1: Humphreys was often taken by the uninitiated to be Mr. Bertram in person, though who the actual Mr. Bertram was, or indeed, if there ever had been a Mr. Bertram, was long lost in the mists of antiquity. Tell me, Humphreys,
5: how do all these old dears manage to come and stay in a place like this? The answer is quite simple, Colonel. They couldn't afford it in the normal run of things unless... (laughs) Unless you make special prices for them, is that it? (sighs) Yes, it (laughs) amounts to that. But Bertram's couldn't just afford to be a charitable concern for genteel old ladies. So what can you possibly get out of it? It's a question of atmosphere. Strangers coming to this country, Americans mostly because they're the ones who have the money, have their rather curious ideas of what England is like. They don't want to find this country the same as their own. They expect London to be rather as it was in the time of Henry James.
2: And they want the people who stay here to be the kind of people they'd never come across anywhere else. I
5: see. And so, with a little discretion about prices in particular cases,
1: we're able to set the scene, as it were. All the time the men had been talking, Selina had been regarding me attentively over her buttered muffins, and finally she came over and sat down beside me.
3: Jane? It is Jane Marple, isn't it? Yes, Selina, it is Jane. I know it sounds silly, but I don't seem to be able to remember faces as well as I did. <laughs> Twice today I've gone over to talk to an old acquaintance and discovered it to be somebody quite different. <laughs> Do you always stay at Bertram's when you come up to town? Odd that I've never seen you here before. No, I couldn't possibly afford to stay in a place like this, and in
1: any case, I hardly ever leave home now. No, it was my nephew's idea that I should Good Lord.
3: Isn't that Bess Sedgwick over there? Oh it can't be. But it must be. Bess Sedgwick. Oh, for goodness sake, Jane, even in St Margaret Mead or whatever it is, you must have heard of Bess Sedgwick. Oh, yes, of course. Wasn't she involved with the French Resistance during the war? She's supposed to have killed six Germans. She's also flown solo across the Atlantic, Ah. ridden on horseback from the Vosges to the Caucasus, saved two children from a burning house and is even supposed to have smuggled herself aboard a nuclear submarine on its maiden voyage. And didn't I read somewhere that she's been married several times? She's had at least three husbands, but that's just the tip of the iceberg, I imagine. I do believe. Yes, she is. She's actually eating a donut. And the jam's gone all over her chin. That's
1: what I call a real donut.
6: Delicious.
3: God knows what she's doing here. A lorry driver's pull up a bit more her style. Or the most exclusive nightclub in London. Oh. Oh, Lord, seen me. So you know her, then? Oh,
7: yes. Very well. Selina, haven't seen you since Croft's
3: last year. How are the boys always doing? What on earth brings you to Bertram's
7: Bess? I'm staying here. I've just driven up from Land's End. Four hours and three quarters. Not bad. But I wouldn't expect you to be staying in a place like this. Well, someone told me I ought to try it. And they're right. I've just had the most marvellous doughnut. <laughs> Must rush now. Bye,
1: Selina. What an
3: extraordinary woman. I've known her since she was six. Nobody could ever do anything with her. But what could you expect from the Irish gentry? Oh? She ran away with a groom when she was 16. They managed to get her back in time, or perhaps not in time. They bought him off and got her safely married off to old Coniston, 30 years older than she was. Awful old rip. Quite dotty about her. And did it last? Oh, Lord, no. She went off with Johnny Sedgwick. Well, now, that might have lasted if he hadn't broken his neck steeplechasing. And after that, she married Ridgeway Becker. Wasn't he some sort of American yachting fanatic? That's the one. You see, you do read the papers. <laughs> anyway, that didn't last. No. And now I hear she's taken up with some racing car driver, a pole or something. I don't know whether she's actually married or not. Now, after she'd divorced Becker, she went back to calling herself Sedgwick. She goes about with the most extraordinary people. they say she takes drugs. One wonders if she's happy. Well, she's got packets of money, I suppose. Alimony and all that. And she's usually got a man, or several, in tow. But don't you think,
1: perhaps, that men have always been an adventure to her, not a
3: need? The really odd thing, you know, is what she's doing in Bertram's hotel. I mean to say, all these old army officers and clergymen. I'm perfectly certain she has some reason to be here. Hmm. Perhaps she's planning to meet somebody. Oh, oh! Surely that's General Arlington. Oh, do excuse me, Jane. Oh.
1: As it happened, it wasn't General Arlington at all. But I seized the opportunity to steal away. As I reached the lift. Bess Sedgwick came out of it and suddenly stopped dead in astonishment.
4: The reception desk is over there, ladies. Uh, Don't worry about your cases. We'll take care of them.
7: Hold the lift, will you? I've forgotten something.
4: Second floor, madam.
1: But I was certain that it wasn't something she had forgotten that made her go back into the lift. She had seen something, or someone. Was it the couple coming through the swing doors? A middle-aged woman and a girl? Mother and daughter? but somehow they didn't look like mother and daughter. Whoever they were, they were immediately scooped up by Selina's old friend, Colonel Luscombe. I was rather intrigued and thought that perhaps I wouldn't go up to my room just yet.
5: Oh, how very good to see you, Ah, Mrs Carpenter, and my dear Elvira. Oh, splendid, splendid. Have a good flight?
8: Yes, it was fine. No
5: fog or anything like that? Oh, no.
8: The flight was even five minutes ahead of schedule.
5: (laughs) Well, why don't we go and sit down? Or or, or would you like to go and take a look at your rooms, Um, see that they're all right and all that?
8: I'll go up and get things unpacked. Uh, Perhaps
1: Elvira, you and the Colonel, would like to have a little gossip. Well,
5: we'll see you shortly then, Mrs Carpenter. Very well. Now, my dear, let's go off and find a quiet corner. Would you like something to drink, my dear? A bit of lemon, perhaps, or an orangeade?
8: I'll have a gin and vermouth, thanks.
5: Oh, a gin and vermouth, oh, of course. Uh, Henry? Yes, sir? A gin and vermouth, if you please, and a dry sherry. Yes, Colonel. Uh, it's rather an old fashioned place, I'm afraid. No dancing or anything like that. No,
8: I suppose not.
5: Lots of old fogies here, I'm afraid. I ought to have settled for something a bit more modern. Still, it's only for a couple of nights.
8: I'm sure it will be very nice.
5: And how was Italy?
8: Very nice, thank you, Uncle Derek.
5: And that place you were at, the Contessa... what's her name? Not too grim?
8: She's pretty strict, but I didn't let that worry me.
5: (laughs) I suppose you must think me the most frightful old buffer. I'm afraid we don't know each other as well as we ought, seeing that I'm your guardian as well as your godfather but uh, it's difficult for a man of my generation to know what a girl wants. Uh, These cousins of mine, the Melfords, do you think you'll like staying with them?
8: Oh, I think so. I like Nancy well enough, and cousin Mildred is rather a dear.
5: That's all right, then.
8: Tell me, have I any money?
5: Uh, Yes, you've got quite a lot of money. Or at least you will have when you're 21.
8: And who has it now?
5: It's held in trust for you.
8: And you are the trustee?
5: I'm one of them. There are three.
8: What happens if I die?
5: Oh, come on, Elvira. You're not going to die.
8: I was just wondering, who would get my money if I did? I
5: haven't the least idea. This really is a pointless conversation.
8: And who would get my money if I was married?
5: Your husband, I suppose. Depends on the wording of the trust. But you're not married, so why concern yourself? One gin and vermouth, Um, one sherry. Thank you, Henry. Thank you, sir. To your continuing good health, my dear.
8: Do you ever see my mother?
5: Sometimes. Not very often.
8: I've never seen her. Not since I was two, at least. And I can't remember that. Where is she now?
5: Abroad, I suppose.
8: Where abroad?
5: France, Portugal, I don't really know.
8: Does she ever want to see me?
5: Yeah. I really don't know. It's it's difficult to explain. Your mother is different from oh, other I know wa-
8: that. I'm always reading about her in the papers and I I cut out all her photographs. She's rather a special person, isn't she? Mm-hmm. Famous and all that.
5: Oh, she's that alright. But it's not always a happy thing to have a famous person for a mother. You can take that from me because it's the truth.
8: You don't like speaking the truth very much, do you, Colonel? What? But I think what you've just said is the truth.
1: From where I was sitting, I could just hear what was being said by Colonel Luscombe and the unhappy young girl, while being close enough to the reception desk to observe what was going on there, so that I was in a very good position to see a very sinister, though rather handsome man in a black leather jacket sweep into the hall and stride across to Miss Gorringe at her desk. Not at all the kind of person you'd expect to see at Bertram's. Tell
4: me, is Lady Sedgwick staying here?
7: Yes, she is. Did you wish to speak to her?
4: No, I simply wanted to leave this note for her. I wanted to make sure that this was the right hotel. You will see that she gets my note? Of course. Thank you.
5: Well, really... These young fellas nowadays.
8: You know who that was, don't you? I know. Should I? That's Ladislaus Malinowski. The racing driver, fella. He was a world champion, two years running. He had a bad crash last year. He was quite badly injured, but I. I believe he's driving again now.
5: It sounds like it.
1: And then the swing doors opened again, and a white-haired elderly clergyman came in, much more the kind of person you'd expect to find at Bertram's.
7: How nice to see you, Canon Pennyfather. Uh, you are well, I hope?
6: Uh, well, this is Bertram's hotel, is it not? That's right, Canon Pennyfather. Yes, and you have a room for me, I think. Uh, at least I, I, I did write... I
7: believe. Oh, yes, we got your letter. Uh, We reserved number 19 for
6: you, the room you had last time. Ah, thank you, thank you. Um, For, uh, uh, let me see, how how long was it? Uh, Four days. Ah, yes. I am on my way to Chadminster. Ah,
7: I think that is where you have just come from, Canon Perry, Father.
6: Oh, Uh, of course, uh, silly um, No, I, I meant to um, Lucerne uh, Yes, I'm on my way to Lucerne And I shall stay there for one night But uh, please, you must keep my room I shall leave most of my things here And take only a small bag to Switzerland You explained
7: it all very clearly
6: in your letter uh, Did I? Oh, uh, that's
1: all right. I'll get the boy to take your luggage up to your room. I always wake up early nowadays, one of the blessings of old age, I suppose, or is it a curse? Waking up at Bertram's Hotel, I felt yet again that nothing had changed since I first stayed there all those years ago as a young girl. You rang, madam. Yes, I did. I would like to order breakfast. Yes, madam. I think two poached eggs would be very nice. And fresh rolls, madam. What a very pleasant idea. Tea or coffee, madam. Tea, if you please. Thank you, madam. Thank you. I'll see to it straight away. It was ten o'clock before I emerged from my room. As I did so, who should look out from the door of the room next but one to mine but Bess Sedgwick? She closed the door again softly. And since she was obviously keeping an eye open for someone, I decided not to take the lift, but to wait for a moment, so as not to miss anything.
7: Oh. There you are at last, Derek. I didn't get your message until an hour ago. Where can we go and talk? That's to say, without falling over some inquisitive old biddy every few seconds. Well,
5: there is a sort of writing room, I believe, on the mezzanine floor. No,
7: you'd best come in here. Quick now, before the chambermaid gets peculiar ideas about us.
5: I'd no idea you'd be staying here, Bess. I mean, I'd never have brought Elvira here if i knew. Oh, Derek, don't look so
7: worried. I'm not accusing you of trying to stage a sentimental reunion for me and my long-lost daughter. It's one of those things that happen in a place like this. But you must get Elvira out of here at once
5: today. Oh, she's going. I only brought her here for a couple of nights... I'm taking her down to the Melfords tomorrow. God help her, the poor girl would probably expire out of sheer boredom.
7: <laughs> Though after the time she must have had in Italy, she might find them wildly thrilling.
5: Look, Bess, I didn't expect to find you here, but don't you think it might be meant in some kind of way? I hope you're not saying what I think you're saying. Well, you are her mother, after all.
7: Of course I'm her mother. And What good has that fact ever been to either of us, or ever will be? You can't be sure. It won't work, Derek. It's no good. It won't work. And it might be dangerous. Oh, come now, Bess, you can't mean it. It's always been dangerous. And running into danger has always been a habit with me. No, not a habit, more like an addiction. Like that nice little dollop of heroin that addicts have to take to make life seem brightly coloured and worth living. Danger is my drug. But people who live as I do can be a source of harm to others.
5: Oh, for goodness sake, Bess. Don't
7: be an obstinate old fool, Derek. You'll keep that girl well away from me. Bring up the Melfords and take her down there today.
5: You're making a mistake. She asked where you were. I told her you were abroad. Well, so I shall be in another 12 hours. Now run along
7: and do as I say.
4: Good morning, Count Pennyfather.
6: Can I get you a taxi?
4: Uh, a taxi? Well, I suppose that might be best. Taxi! And uh, where would you be going to?
6: Uh, going to... Oh, dear. Uh, I, I, I not know. It's quite slipped out of my mind. I, I suppose you don't happen, though. I'm afraid not, Father. Uh, no, I suppose you wouldn't. Where to, sir? Ah, uh, that's just the difficulty. I, I've no idea. Uh, Got to be going somewhere, sir. Oh, oh very well. Well, take me to, um... <laughs> the British Museum. Right, sure, sir.
4: In you go, Father.
6: Uh,
1: There is a pleasant little coal fire in the writing room on the ground floor and I thought that I would sit there for a few minutes before venturing out The backs of the chairs are very high and I was hidden from the view of Bess Sedgwick when she came in She went and sat in the chair by the open window and, to my great surprise, began a conversation with the doorman, who was standing just outside. So this is where you've ended up, Michael Gorman.
7: What on earth brought you to this place?
4: I'm sorry, madam, I didn't quite... uh...
7: Don't you know me, Mickey?
4: Good lord. If it isn't little Bessie,
7: and after all
4: these years...
7: Nobody but you ever called me Bessie. It's a revolting name. (laughs) No, stop staring at me. Keep looking straight ahead, as if waiting for a taxi to come. What have you been doing all this long time?
4: Ah, this and that. I've not been in the news like you, Bessie.
7: (laughs) I've worn better than you have, Mickey. You drank too much. You always did.
4: You've worn well because you've always been in the money.
7: Money wouldn't have done you any good. You'd have drunk even more and gone to the dogs completely. How did you ever get taken on at this
4: place? they like a commissioner to have a lot of medals.
7: All genuine, are they?
4: I'm sure they're genuine. Why shouldn't they be? No reason. You
7: always had courage. You've always been a good fighter. I'm sure the army suited you. Why did you ever leave it?
4: The army's all very well when there's a war on. But it's no good in peacetime.
7: It's strange seeing you again after all these years.
4: I've never forgotten you, Bessie. A lovely girl you were. A damn fool of a girl, that's what I was. Well, that's true now. You hadn't much sense. If you had, you wouldn't have taken up with me. I still remember Ballygall and Bessie. Many's the time I thought of writing to you.
7: And just what do you mean by that?
4: I was just saying that I hadn't forgotten.
7: If you mean what I'm thinking, I'll give you a piece of advice. Any trouble from you, and I'll shoot you as easily as I'd shoot a rat.
4: I believe you'd do just that.
7: In Ballygowland, they paid you to keep your mouth shut and paid you damn well. You'll get no money from me.
4: it would be a romantic story for the Sunday papers. I'm warning you, Mickey Gorman. (laughs) I was just joking. I know when to keep my mouth shut.
1: I decided that the time had come for me to leave. I crept out of the writing room and went straight outside.
4: Good morning, madam. And what can I do for you? Would you like me to get you a taxi?
1: Well, I was rather thinking of walking down to Piccadilly and catching a bus to Kensington High Street.
4: Oh, you'll be wanting a taxi, ma'am. It's very dangerous springing on a bus when you're getting on in life. Jerk you off your feet, they do. I'll whistle you along a taxi and you'll go where you wish like a queen.
8: Sorry to drop in on you without warning or anything. Do you think your mother heard me come in? No, I'm sure she didn't. She's in her bedroom and the door's closed. But why all the secrecy, Alvera? Look, Bridget, there's something terribly important I have to do, and you've got to help me. I will if I can. What is it? A map? No. As a matter of fact, it isn't. I've got to get away to Ireland for twenty-four hours, and I want you to cover for me. To Ireland? Why? I can't tell you about it now. There's no time. I've got to meet my guardian, Colonel Luscombe, for lunch at Prunia's at half-past one. I'm being taken down to the Melfords today. I'm to live with them until I'm 21. How perfectly ghastly. Cousin Mildred is frightfully easy to deceive. It's arranged I'm to come up for classes and things and go to museums and galleries. We'll manage all sorts of things. (laughs) We manage well enough in Italy. Hmm. Do you ever hear from Guido? Oh, yes. He wrote me a long letter signed Ginevra as though he was a girlfriend. (laughs) But look... We've got a lot to do and no time to do it in, so just listen. I'm coming back up to town tomorrow for an appointment with a dentist. That's easy. I can put it off by telephone, or you can from here. Then about midday, I want you to ring up the Melfords, pretending to be your mother, and say that the dentist wants to see me again the next day, and so I'm staying with you here. That ought to be easy enough. But supposing you're not back from Ireland the next day? Well, then you'll have to do some more ringing up, and we'll have lots of time to think of something before then. I suppose so. What's worrying me now is money. You haven't got any, I suppose? Only about two pounds. Well, that's not going to buy an air ticket to Ireland. It's such a bore not having any money. Have you ever pawned anything, Bridget? Never. I don't think I know how to. And in any case, I don't think I've got anything that would be much use to a pawnbroker. But your mother must have some jewellery somewhere. Well, yes, she has, but I don't think we can ask her to help. But we could pinch something, perhaps. No, Vera, I don't think we could do that. I bet she'd never notice. We could get it back before she missed it. Oh, well, we'll just have to go to Mr. Bollard. Who's Mr. Bollard? Oh, he's sort of a family jeweller. I take my watch there whenever I want it mended. He's known me since I was a child. We'd better go right away. Where is this Mr. Bollard, anyway? Bond Street. What if I really get run over? Of course you won't get run over. You're quite nippy on your feet, and London traffic is used to pulling up suddenly. You'll be all right. I suppose so. We should synchronise our watches. Zero hour will be 25 past exactly. You won't let me down, will you, Bridget? I won't let you down, Elvira. I just wish I didn't have to do it.
2: It's always such a pleasure to see you, Miss Blake.
8: On one of your rare visits up to town... What can I do for you? It's this little watch of mine. Ooh. It seems to be going slow.
2: Mm-hmm. I'm sure we can attend to that, though it may take a day or two.
8: Oh, that's all right. I've got another one. <laughs> and there's something else. My guardian, Colonel Luscombe, has asked what I should like for a Christmas present. Oh. He suggested that I should call in here and look at a few things. Well,
2: of course. Mm. What did you have in mind, Miss Blake? Um, a brooch or a bracelet, perhaps? I- I'm not certain. Well, let me show you a few of our brooches. Here we are. Oh, and there might be something
8: among these
2: bracelets that might take your fancy. Oh,
8: there are so many pretty things. I'm quite spot for choice. <laughs> I love that bracelet and that one. And this brooch is lovely. Yes.
2: Well, perhaps I should make a note of the items that you like. Oh. The colonel might wish to decide which of them would be the most suitable.
8: So that it would be a surprise. Yes, Yes, I'd like that. Good
2: Lord, what on earth's going on? Oh, stupid girl rushing into the road like that. Might have been a serious accident. She might have been
8: killed. I've just realised how late it is. I must rush. Oh. I've got to catch my train back to the country. Now, you won't forget the things I liked, will you, Mr. Bollard? No. I expect my guardian will call in a day or two. Of course, Miss Blake. I've made a note of them. Don't ever ask me to do anything like that again. I thought I was going to be killed. And I've torn a hole in my stocking. Never mind. Take a look at this. Oh, there's real diamonds? Now, Bridget, you've got to get along to that pawn shop I showed you and see how much you can get for this. You mustn't accept less than 300. But Mr. Bollard is sure to notice that it's gone. Won't he you think you've taken it? What if they go to the police? They won't go to the police. Certainly not if they think I took it. I don't understand. They know I'm going to come into a lot of money, so they certainly won't make a scandal. It's in their best interest to keep quiet. Now, when you've got the money, you must go to Aer Lingus and get me a ticket to Dublin. I wish you'd tell me what all this is about. What exactly is it you've got to do? I can't talk about it, Bridget. I really can't. But it is terribly, terribly important. It must be if you're taking all these risks. And if you can't even tell me about it. It's something which nobody must ever know about. I've got to find out about something. Something that will affect the whole of the rest of my life. Now, don't ask me any more questions. Just go and get me that ticket. It really is a matter of life and death.
2: (laughs)